I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin an action-packed show today with some commentary on Kanye West's fascinating interview with Tucker Carlson from last week, and then his decision to light himself on fire with an anti-Semitic social media post. Is he actually a Jew hater? Maybe not, but he certainly made himself sound like one, which is too bad. Next, Joe and Kamala are going to be releasing nonviolent drug offenders from prison, which is ironic because they built their careers on locking up nonviolent drug offenders. Are we on the brink of nuclear war? Maybe. Joe Biden seems to think so. And whose fault is that? Putin, sure. Also Zelensky, because he has pleas out for NATO to invade Russia. But Biden himself bears much of the blame, and we will get into that as well. Also in the opening, the Las Vegas Strip stabbing that was in the news was done by a person in a protected class, and we'll tell you which one. There was a shooting at a prominent New York politician's home over the weekend, and we'll tell you which one. And then some prominent L.A. Democrats unleashed some racial slurs against a particular race, and we'll tell you which one and why there will probably be no consequences for them. Michael Yan is our guest today. He's a combat journalist, and he feeds me frontline information from Europe and Central America. And he's one of the most well-traveled and networked people I know, and he brings frightening news regarding the energy crisis and a possible famine in Europe. And then we look at cartel activity south of our border, and it's disturbing stuff, but we got to get the truth, and Michael helps deliver it. Let's get into it. start today with a story it might not be the biggest story but i was really excited on thursday about the kanye west interview with tucker carlson and i was excited to talk about it because i thought he said a lot of pretty interesting stuff in it and i was going to give you all my takes on it and it was gonna be exciting let's get your takes because any of you watched it you could probably definitely found it to be compelling television it was at least 30 minutes on Tucker's TV show after coming back from Paris Fashion Week, wearing a White Lives Matter shirt. Um, I know Jerome touched it quite a bit on Friday. And uh, now I will not talk about that because it feels like bad timing after he went on some uh, social media rants, including complaining about all the Jews yesterday, which was pretty disappointing. He's suspended now from Twitter and Instagram because he said he's going to go death con three on Jewish people. Now, and this is a shame because... He actually says things that are uh, interesting and does make you think, and I does I do think challenge a lot of people, including me, to defend your beliefs and uh, defend certain concepts you have about the world, perceptions you have about the world, and that's what really interesting people do. But you can't go out there saying Death Con 3 on the Jewish people and expect to be able to continue to say stuff. He says his self-destructive streak is very wide, and unfortunate because his conversation with Tucker was so big and now this is all people are going to think about for a long time but it seems like the logic is he's gotten screwed out of some money by a few people those people happen to be Jewish and uh, a couple of them I think he thinks are the Kushners which is interesting and uh, Jared and in particular Jared's brother Josh who does not seem like a particularly good guy at least from my vantage point uh, but he thinks he got screwed out of some money from them and some other people and I think that's made him hate all Jews, which is classic anti-Semitic thinking. It is, you think, well, I had a bad interaction with these three people over money, thus I must, I must not like the Jews, which I don't even buy that's really even the case. I, I really don't necessarily, but you can't tweet that stuff and not at this moment and expect to stay on social media and expect to uh, be immediately forgiven by people. So horrible stuff and unfortunate because it does, of course, detract from some interesting stuff he was saying. So not only the anti-Semitism part is bad, but the especially if he doesn't even really mean it, it's almost worse in a way because I don't feel like we're getting a big glimpse into his soul. I think we're just he's just blowing himself up, which he's done many times. Recall when he got on the stage with Taylor Swift and I think it was the VMAs and it was like protesting that she won a music video award over Beyonce which uh, he's probably right about that, but, you know, you can't storm the stage. So definitely can't be tweeting about DEFCON, which is not, it's not even supposed to be DEFCON. So you almost would hope it was a troll of some kind, but it certainly reads like it's anti-Semitic. So he got thrown off social media and now we can't talk about any of the good stuff 
um, that he was saying also. So it's uh, triply depressing. Super depressing if he really is an anti-Semite. Um, almost as bad as if he's not and he just lit himself on fire publicly and now he can't talk about the interesting things he was saying. So makes me sad. That uh, the, the, Another one from last weekend that I want to talk about that I will bring up briefly is Joe Biden pardoning thousands convicted of federal marijuana possession. Uh, this is so rich because he's obviously trying to buy votes in the run up to the election. The Real Clear Politics now thinks Republicans are going to take the Senate also, not just the House, but the Senate. So not only is the red wave back on. The Senate was never a given for Republicans anyway. And I don't want people to get overly cocky because, again, with cheat by mail and with big tech doing what they're doing, um, you know, censoring whoever they can. Just know their finger is really on the trigger with the censorship. They're trying to censor people right now. We'll get to more of that in a bit. You never know how it's going to go down. But now Real Clear thinks the Republicans got the Senate too, not just the House. So Biden's going to buy himself some votes, and so he's going to buy them with pot. So he's going to release some of the pot criminals, and now he's really progressive again. But what's unbelievable, and we will barely have time to mention this, is that Joe Biden's drug bill from the 90s locked up a bunch of uh, nonviolent drug offenders. So he had one of his signature accomplishments prior to becoming vice president was locking up nonviolent drug offenders. Now he's trying to release nonviolent drug offenders. Kamala Harris made her bones in California, first as district attorney, then as attorney general, locking up nonviolent drug offenders. You notice the pattern here? So this administration had gotten gotten big and cool by taking on nonviolent drug offenders and putting them in the pen. Now they're letting them out and they're hoping you will vote for them and forgive them for their years and years and years of sins. Okay. Um, the next biggest thing, and this is probably the biggest thing, is nuclear war. We're on the brink of it, apparently. And not just according to me. Don't take my word for it. You can take uh, Joe Biden's word for it. Joe Biden talked about how we're heading towards Armageddon. Literally, he said that we are uh, on the brink of Armageddon because I, I, it feels like the biggest self-own in history because we weren't on the brink of Armageddon until Joe Biden got uh, got into power, right? But now the, the conversation of uh, Russia going nuclear has really hit a very high level, and uh, Biden himself are using the word Armageddon, which is just just crazy. Because now it, it makes you think. Well, maybe we now have to start thinking about it. Um, of course, he's been roasted on this a, a lot, but his, he's talking about Armageddon as a just just using it a fundraiser was when it came up, apparently, when Biden was using this expression. It wasn't just him, you know, in a calculated move. But he said a fundraiser last week, we've not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. So either he's living in a fantasy world, he misspeak, he misspoke, which he does constantly, uh, or or he really thinks this is going to happen. And if it's going to happen, then who did it? The person who did it is him. He's the guy in charge. Now I'm hoping maybe it's just one of his brain farts because he had one last week during a speech. Here's a cool one. Let's play cut three, please, Zach. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. Made in America. He repeats it. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Two words, made in America. It's the it's literally how SNL would portray him if they were trying to be funny instead of just being political. So um, he does feel like Putin is, is more backed into a corner, I'm sure. And I'm sure he does feel like the more he's backed into a corner, it's a better, bigger chance that he's going to use nukes. Biden is content to continue to keep shoveling money over to Ukraine. So instead of negotiating some sort of a peaceful solution, realizing that the you know Ukrainians are kind of losing it to a degree, in my opinion, uh, maybe it's time to start trying to wrap this thing up, see what we can do to wind it down before the world blows sky high. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we'll just uh, ramp up the Armageddon talk. If he was more credible, I think we would be spending more time on it than we even are. 
because I don't know if people necessarily believe Joe Biden, but uh, he's president of the United States. So we're supposed to believe him. And this is what is deeply disturbing, um, is that it's hard to know how dangerous it is. And I want to come in the audience and I want to be accurate with you guys. Zach, by the way, I did the thing where I deleted my uh, cut sheet by accident. So if you could send that back to me, that'd be nice. Thank you. Host error. We have host error on the show. I can get the chastisement facilities too. There's just It's not just for the producers. Um, anyway, so are we on the brink of Armageddon? I, I, I don't know, but I will tell you I was struck earlier in last weekend. And this was, again, I think on a Thursday thing. So forgive me for going back in time. But the the fact of the matter is, is that Zelensky is now calling on NATO to launch a preemptive strike against Russia. He says this will eliminate the possibility of a Russian nuclear strike. That's the opposite. It will make it much more likely that Russia will have a nuclear strike. But it would also make it much more likely that NATO ends the war with Ukraine winning on behalf of Ukraine, even though Ukraine is not a NATO nation. So I th- this is where I think I phrase it to the producers. I think this might be where I get off the Zelensky train. Not to say I've really been on it for a while, but the, all right, he's got a bunch of our money, and then now he's encouraging us to basically bring us to the brink of nuclear war on his behalf. And what's our benefit? We get a lot of benefit. I mean, the only benefit is if in the sporting match between Russia and Ukraine, I'm rooting for Ukraine. Okay, but there's also, as I mentioned last week, there are credible reports that Ukraine taking vengeance on Russians, including civilians, which is war crimes, which we might be funding, which I would like to know for funding them or not. And we won't know that. At least not for a while, but who's going to investigate it? That will make Zelensky, the world hero, look good and I'm sorry, look bad and make Putin look like a victim. If it turns out it's true, I don't know if it's true because there's propaganda flying on both sides. But Ukraine is now frantically trying to walk back Zelensky's call for preemptive strikes on Russia. It did not age very well and it had aided the nuclear hysteria. And I think Zelensky saying this, I think the world started to get the picture that him even saying this probably made us a little bit closer to nuclear war than we were previously. So Francis Martel and John Hayward have done an amazing job writing up the essentials of this, and we'll have many for you, uh, more for you at Brightport News. Uh, Bolsonaro, Jair Bolsonaro, who, by the way, is in a really interesting um, runoff for the presidency in Brazil, pointed out that if Trump was president, the Ukraine war wouldn't have even happened. And it is true, and you guys know that I mentioned my frustrations with with former President Trump as much as I uh, mentioned the stuff he does well or did well. But this is definitely one in his camp that it is hard to picture this war last, beginning and lasting as long as it did with with Trump there. He would come up with something. And I, I do think that he would have focused on trying to get this thing wrapped up quick. Try to come up with brokering some sort of a peace, which he probably could have done. So, um, the... Yeah, the, the, but I would keep an eye on just for, if anything, for the uh, sake of entertainment. The Brazilian presidential race is just unbelievable. Um, there is an ad that is going around that shows uh, Bolsonaro approving of cannibalism by uh, Lula da Silva, his socialist opponent. The consumption of human fr- flesh. And it, it takes, I think, sort of out of context, an interview that was done a long time ago that uh, Bolsonaro was going to go to some village and they had a custom of like cannibalism. And he said if he had gone, which he didn't go, he would have participated in whatever the rituals were, suggesting he would have eaten people. And now Bolsonaro wants it censored. So uh, it's pretty wild stuff down there in that race. And it, I find it to be somewhat of a comfort because sometimes I feel like our politics are insane. And then I see other people's politics and think, well, I don't know. Maybe we got it okay in the United States. Um, the other big international item was a bridge from Russia to Crimea in, in, in flames being blown up. 
And contrary to the memes I was seeing online, I do not believe it was Godzilla that blew it up. I believe it was something else. So any of you who are sharing with me the Godzilla eating the bridge, I know we're in spooky season here and we're looking to put monsters and everything. That's not true. It's fake news. So, and I think that there's some people who didn't know that it wasn't Godzilla who did it. So it was a Crimean bridge getting hit. It was uh, either a missile or some sort of a sabotage. Because remember, the propaganda wars are insane. And this is a very prestigious bridge to Putin. So the the it's interesting because it, it, this looks very bad for Putin, I think. And it could, again, bring us a little bit closer to nuclear war. See if he's going to reply in some way. Though I don't think... Is that likely that Putin is going to nuke right next to his home base, especially territory that he wants anyway? So it just all makes it a, a very complicated to figure out what's going on. Um, but I, I don't have a perfect grasp of what this is all about, and we'll continue to try to assess everything for you at, at Breitbart News. But it is uh, was Putin's 70th birthday when this took place. So could be a way to... Uh, it could be a sabotage move that uh, Putin is looking at to do something, change the narrative in some direction, or it could be a pretty strategic victory for Ukraine, but again, could bring us on the verge of you know, Putin retaliating at a much broader level. Russia claimed the Crimean bridge is partly reopened and the damage is insignificant. Uh, you can see the bridge is in the, is in the water, like it's broken in half. That is something I would have liked to have seen some footage of that getting rebuilt. I'm pretty fascinated by bridges. Maybe it's because of all the time I spent in the Bay Area. Just the, uh, and the bridges were always under construction and never getting completed. That does seem like about one of the hardest things in the world you could do. Maybe it isn't, but maybe just for my brain, it just seemed very, very challenging to build a bridge in the water. All right. Um, speaking of California. L.A. City Council leaders have had to apologize for racist slurs against a black child. Kevin DeLeon, who is a council member and ran for mayor, was in third place behind Karen Bass and uh, Rick Russo, who are still in a dogfight out there, uh, who was the president pro tem of the California State Senate, as well as L.A. City Council President Nuri Martinez apologized on Sunday for a conversation that included a racial slur against the black child of a white colleague. A guy named Mike Bonin, who's a left-wing um, uh, politician who represents Pacific Palisades, wealthy area in Los Angeles, part of the L.A. City Council. And apparently he has a child. I don't know if it's a stepchild or not. I get all the details, but he does have a black child. And these left-wing Democrats refer to the child as a negrito, which is a slang, a, a slur, not a slang, a slur, in a monkey, which you guys know that one. So I can't say that stuff. Um, I believe Nuri Martinez has resigned, which is amazing because no one resigns. Um, or or just apologize. Was it was that fake news? Did I get that? That it's okay. So now 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 I'm looking at it. Hold on. Now I'm confused here. No calls resign. Ooh, she hasn't resigned yet. It's a girl, I think. Nuri Martinez. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, I got, I got it right. So she's not resigned. She's facing calls resigned. That's fun. And Kevin DeLeon will not resign. There'll be no consequences for him because he's a stone-cold moron, one of the dumbest people in American politics, and he probably doesn't even care. Though he did apologize, but it's a political move. So producer Zach has diligently pulled for me one of the most unbelievable clips. Here is Kevin DeLeon trying to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. When was this? This was in... Um, this was... January of last year. Thank you, sir. Okay, let's play. Cut 10. Go. A rough time for L.A. City Council member Kevin DeLeon today. He was leading the council in the Pledge of Allegiance when he forgot the words. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. <laughs> Under Vincible, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Yeah, took him several times <laughs> to get it right. A video later went viral. Never got it right. Yeah, that's that's coverage for the plus. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't doesn't know it. He just said the beginning incorrectly twice. Chuckled, moved on. That was it at the LA City Council meeting. 
Um, so here's a cut of City Council President Nuri Martinez talking about, actually, George Gascon was a subject of some of this conversation as well. What another racial slur? Because, well, let's hear it. Cut 11, go. All the, you know, folks like with Gascon, he did call me. He wants to have breakfast with me. Um, what is it taking him so long? I haven't, I just said, hey, we need to talk. He guilt supported him from the... I don't worry, I got you. Um, uh, yeah. So you'll start seeing him line up. He's with the blacks. Isaac was the first. Yeah, we, we believe that a little bit, but F that guy, he's with the blacks. So will there be any consequences for these people? And I sometimes root for not because that just reminds you that they don't really care about any of the progressivism they stand for, report to stand for. The left isn't their report to stand for. What they stand by is themselves. And that's the nature of a one-party state. That's the nature of a one-party area like Los Angeles is and like California is. There's no consequences for getting things back afterwards politically, culturally, when it comes to sensitivities, uh, when it comes to different races in this country. They don't really care about that stuff. They care about themselves. But it's very frustrating because I got a lot of family out there. And, you know, you see things. I, I was um, on social media and I was following an, an account of a, of a trainer who trains celebrities and who follow them for the training purpose purposes and you know he was whining about gas prices the the every time the guy posts about politics there was left-wing stuff and he's always you know training left-wing celebrities but he's upset about gas prices well the only times had an article over the weekend about how california policymakers have failed for decades on gas prices no kidding we're seeing gas clearly on eight dollars again in california why is that well they have regulations in the environment that make it much harder to maintain their refineries and that slows down supply in a crisis. They also have a special mix of gasolines or mix of fuels that they use for ostensibly green regulations. And because they have the most aggressive environmental regulations in the country. And that also makes it harder to produce the fuels that are uh, necessary for, for uh, winter in particular. Um... And apparently, it's supposed to be easier to get, you know, the the winter blend made, but their blend is unique to the point where it makes it much harder to get it prepared, and it makes the supply shorter, and it makes uh, it much more expensive. Is the math on it? And it's all because of green stuff, as always. So now they're trying to get the winter blend out early, even though I think it was in the '90s in parts of California yesterday, because that's cheaper. But they can't get out in time. And again, what are the consequences? The consequences are every single person will just get reelected if you're Democrat. Because it's like an automatic seat. Once you're in as a Democrat, then you're in. Unless you get primaried by someone who's further to the left. Ugh. Um, Other political things that are out there. A Democrat former mayor uh, of San Luis, Arizona, pled guilty to ballot abuse. She's uh, hoping for leniency. Guillermina Fuentes pled guilty on a ballot abuse, admitted collectively that several early voting ballots during the 2020 election were improperly harvested. Ooh, interesting. I'm old enough to remember when complaining about ballot harvesting was a conspiracy theory. Weird. Um, she handed off some ballots to a woman named Alma Juarez, who also pled guilty and later deposit, deposited the ballots at a local polling place. So prosecutors said she used her status as a powerful local Democrat operative to run a ballot harvesting scheme that collected ballots from voters in the August 2020 primary. We reported on, we've been reporting on this saga, but um, the sentencing is coming up and we're looking forward to seeing what she gets. I'm sure the book will be thrown at her. Uh, and then when she comes out, I'm sure there'll be a nice job waiting for her at one of these dark money shops that I report on so much. They probably really like her initiative, being able to uh, threaten our elections. 
Another example of election interference is Democrat operatives are using fake local news sites to target midterm swing states. Amy Furr had this report for us at Breitbart News. More seemingly local news outlets are pushing their favorites in a midterm and trying to convince you that they're legit, but they're not legit at all. This is exactly what I reported on Breaking the News that the Courier Newsroom does, an acronym which is run by Lorene Powell Jobs, the heiress to the Steve Jobs fortune, and Reed Hoffman, who was the subject of a big report I did a week or so ago, who founded LinkedIn. That they had already done this, and this is now being mimicked. Fake local news sites targeting midterm swing states. Wouldn't you say that this is democracy under attack, a Democrat election interference? I think so. The person charged is David Brock. Does that name ring a bell? It should, because he is the chief Soros-funded freak of Media Matters, the guy who founded it all, and he's in charge of this operation. And they've created outlets like the Milwaukee Metro Times, the Mecklenburg Herald, and the Tri-City Record. All sound pretty good, right? Those are good publications. I read the Tri-City Record. Morning and night, you delivered both editions to my house, right on my doorstep. Get a nice hot cup of Joe Black. Pull out my Mecklenburg Herald. Get caught up on the news. They're fake. They're all they're all fake. They don't exist. So this is the uh, when I, we talked about, and this was a Charlie Kirk expression, but it's a really good one. Uh, the, this is what we uh, I introduced a concept, and he kind of had a good way of phrasing it. It's like a traveling circus. Uh, my analogy was it's just the same people, the same money. They change the name on the door. So they come with these ideas and they get found out, like the Courier Newsroom and Acronym, because there's been a, a bunch of reporting on it, even though they're still in existence. But I mean, people know that they're bad, partially thanks to people like me and people at Breitbart. Um, but so what do they do? They just do the same thing. They just give a different title and maybe put a different person in charge. But they say, hey, that when we report, like I put out breaking the news, we report that there's Green Powell Jobs funding all these fake news entities that are trying to convince you you're reading really sharp, accurate local news, but you're not. You're actually reading Democrat talking points that are getting laundered into your news feed on social. They don't think that's appalling. They don't think that's a threat to democracy. They think that's a great idea. How do we do more? I know how we do more. We get David Brock, one of the chief fake news purveyors of the last 20 years for the left, an open Democrat operative. And we get him involved, and then we'll launch this whole new thing. So that's what's going on, and more threats to our republic. Literally, it really is. I mean, I say it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek because it's their, their rhetoric they insist on using, but it is quite true, quite true. All right, here's a another unbelievable one that's developed since the end of last week, which is there was a stabbing spree in Las Vegas, right on the Nevada, uh, right on the Strip, I think in front of the Wynn Hotel is where it was. Um, and the a couple people died, including uh, two Americans, 30-year-old Maris Marine DiGiovanni and 47-year-old Brent Allen Hollett. And the person who's responsible with the stabbing spree is a guy named Yoni Barrios, who's an illegal alien from Guatemala, and he's got a criminal record, and he was uh, residing in the sanctuary state of California. When a stabbing spree in Las Vegas, stabbed eight random tourists, and uh, two Americans are dead now. Should never have happened. Never once. Should this happen in our country? Should an illegal alien come and murder Americans? Um, and I'm wondering if what would have been interesting is if it was a shooting spree instead of a stabbing spree, if we would have got more coverage of it. Because then the, the gun control crowd would have reported on it and they would have got dunked on when they would have realized that this is actually an illegal alien. Someone who's only there because we don't really care about law and order in this country. So long as it favors Democrat politicians. Very, very upsetting. Should make all of you sick. Especially you're on vacation. Trying to have a good time. And then, oh, random stabbing. Who was it? Legal alien. Oh, wow. People are dead now. Can I even say illegal alien or was it adjudicated or is he, can I only say alien or migrant? I don't want to be insensitive, especially because the fake news is always watching. 
more depressing crime stories. Uh, a man beaten with a metal pipe under a Nashville bridge has died. This is a 45-year-old Brian Rebensdorf was charged with attempted homicide. Will now be uh, uh, upgrade to homicide by incident, whatever that means. After Jerry Muller, 52, was rushed to a local hospital after being beaten with a pipe underneath a pedestrian bridge. He told investigators he thought Muller may be stealing from him. So he hit him with a pipe and killed him. Apparently. New York City seeing a crime rave. Teen attacked, stabbed by mass suspects on a Manhattan subway platform. Using all those COVID masks, those coronavirus masks, black hoods, mass faces, very hard to determine who these people are. But a teen attacked and stabbed. I'm guessing this one could be gang related. Some kind is based off of some of the information I'm getting with subway station. Be very, very careful if you're there in New York. If you're going to keep using it. New York City woman accused of pickpocketing a dead man who was crushed by a truck. So he gets run over by a truck. And a woman goes over and pickpockets his stuff. So it's also interesting because there's cameras everywhere now. We're kind of constantly being surveilled. If you're if you're on anywhere near my property, I mean, you're getting surveilled. Like, and I don't even have all the state of the art stuff. I got a lot of it though. Can you imagine what a New York City street is like? Like, you think you're just gonna just steal from a dead person and just get away with it? Maybe, maybe it's true. But what an impulse that must be. The moral compass of certain people. Completely gone. Two people were shot outside Republican in New York, a, a gubernatorial candidate and Congressman Lee Zeldin's home. His daughters were inside. Pretty dramatic stuff. We got a full statement that Zeldin put out. But two people shot this afternoon outside of his home. His daughters, who were twins, were at the kitchen table doing homework. One of the bullets landed just 30 feet from them. And I don't have too many details beyond what Zeldin himself put out there, which all of you can um, read at Breitbart.com. But I don't, I don't, I don't fully understand what the shooting's all about. But we'll have more details for you, Breitbart News. Imagine that. It's so tough in New York right now. Very, very tough for his family there. But hey, this follows my pattern. Keep electing the same people over and over and over again. Let's see how it goes. All right, I will share one you knew was coming. You knew was coming. The, this is more social media censorship meets your favorite topic, the vaccines. Twitter censored the Florida Surgeon General for uh, recommending against the mRNA vaccines for young men under 40. A guy named Joseph Ladapo, who noted a study that showed a 84% increase in uh, heart-related deaths, cardiac-related deaths among men 18 to 39 in the next month or so after getting a shot, within 20 days, 28 days following uh, mRNA vaccine shots. So this actually scientifically seems very logical to me that this would be the case. Uh, we have all known that there's been an uptick in cardiac-related issues for people, particularly in that age bracket, men 18 to 39, that specific bracket. Uh, and it was probably related to the shots. We've known that since the beginning. Now an 84% increase in death within 28 days. Now we don't know after that, but we know that within 28 days, um, you know, we're talking about incredibly small numbers of people. The amount of cardiac related deaths between 18 and 39 year old men is very, very low. So if we're looking at a window of within a month, basically, not even a month, 28 days, within four weeks. Now we're talking about a very, very low number, and then a study suggests you get the mRNA shot, and that very, very low number almost doubles to a very, very low number that's doubled the other low number. All of this seems to fit perfectly with what we've known about the shots, that they cause a slight uptick in a very rare way to die in a very small, not a very small, a relatively small part of the population will be a slightly higher risk to die of a cardiac related thing. This seems very straightforward. Seems like a basic real news that this would be out there. 
And now that we're seeing more and more evidence that the latest variants are not responding that well, uh, or are you know the the vaccine is not uh, doing much to prevent the latest variants, um, and is not doing that much to mitigate risk against the latest variants of the coronavirus. It makes sense that there'd be a surgeon general out there who would say, well, let's just stop doing the shots for a while. Seems to make sense. And I know some of you are sending this to me as if to suggest that this does not comport with my vaccine opinion. Uh, it, this is exactly what my vaccine opinion is. As I've said on the show, I got the first couple shots when it seemed like it was working against the variants that were out there. And now I think I've got natural immunity, having had the virus. And I'm not getting additional shots at this time because I'm not seeing the evidence you need it. And of course, there is evidence that there is some level of side effects are taking place. So this fits exactly with my current thinking on it. And so if you're in this case where if you're in this group of people where it's, you know, a a reasonably high risk, you could get this bad side effect. Then let's not take the shots for now. Seems perfectly reasonable, right? Until it's more clear these shots are working against the various uh, variants we're seeing right now then why would you get more shots if you're in that group that's vulnerable to these side effects? And when a doctor with an MD and a PhD, Joseph Ladapo, puts it out there, then uh, seems like that would be something you would want to consider if you were, I don't know, any thinking human being. Well, not if you're one of the people at Twitter. So I guess maybe those aren't thinking human beings because they censored him right away, ripped it right offline useful medical information that might potentially save lives, and they ripped it right offline. This would be very interesting if more negative stuff comes out about the vaccine that's rooted in science, not rooted in you know, something you read online or something you heard in a podcast that makes you feel good about your prior opinions. But you know, real studies from real uh, credible people, the, if, if more of the stuff comes out, will the internet be able to handle any negativity about it? Because if yesterday was a trial run, it did not go very well because it was this study, as most studies do, that I think uh, take hold in the public, this confirmed highly uh, logical information, stuff that probably a lot of the majority of this audience probably figured, you know, makes sense. We know the vaccines aren't doing great against coronavirus now, and we do know that there is a certain level of increase in these cardiac related conditions in young men. So now there's one guy out there who's saying, all right, so stop taking the shots for a bit. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Someone would have that opinion. Well, apparently, not so much. If you are only get your news from Twitter and work at Twitter, if you're in that sort of a bubble, maybe you weren't aware of that. And that disturbs me because if the medical people are getting censored by the masters of the universe, it means then the real doctors are not the actual doctors. The real doctors are the people who run Twitter and their censorship arm, which is probably the whole company at this point. Parag Agrawal is the most powerful. He should be the Surgeon General, might as well, the CEO of Twitter. Though I did think, I wonder if you know all of y'all were in charge of Twitter, what would have happened to Fauci, I have to say. But it would have been very tempting to, to, to censor Fauci, I gotta admit. I'm an anti-censorship guy, so I think I would have been okay. I think a lot of people, a lot of people would have thought, okay, we got to cut this guy off at some point. Just saying. Michael Yan is someone who feeds me information on a pretty constant basis and is very useful to me because he travels the world, he sees much of it, and he gets a lot of frontline info that you're just not going to get from the establishment papers. And he has a keen eye for news and looking towards the future and what's coming next. He's fascinating to talk to, and it comes from a lot of experience. He actually was a contributor to Breitbart News way back when Andrew Breitbart himself was in charge. So it's good to have him on Breitbart News Daily for, I think, I think the first time, certainly the first time with me as the host, let's hear from Michael Yon. Michael, it's great to have you on the show. Man, it's great to come on. I, I've been looking forward to come on, coming on with you for a long time, Alex. I'm in London right now. I've been in Europe for over three months on this trip, uh, Germany and Netherlands, Hungary, 
uh, Austria, uh, quite a few countries, and um, watching the energy situation just uh, collapse. With like, yeah. for instance, Germany, Germany right now they're cutting down massive amounts of forest, forest Alex. Yeah, and I want to start here, and I want to talk to you about uh, some stuff happening south of the American border, and um, but in particular, I want to start with with Europe, and you're seeing some pretty horrifying stuff, and you think that we are on the precipice of a, a energy crisis and perhaps a few food a food crisis that we haven't seen in the West in decades, maybe a century, even. Uh, give me some of the details and what you're seeing and what's concerning you the most. Uh, we're actually beyond the precipice at this point. We're falling. I mean, it's uh, it's too late. There's going to be famine, and the question is how big and how many people are going going to get hit. For instance, uh, natural gas. I mean, we, some people talk about energy as if everything's interchangeable, as if solar panels and and windmills and nuclear plants can replace natural gas, which it simply cannot. The natural gas is used in the Haber-Bosch process to create nitrogen-based fertilizers. And this is something I've been mourning about now for two and a half years. Uh, the, when the, the, natu- the, uh, the Haber-Bosch process was first uh, theorized back in 1905 in a book by thermodynamics book by a, a German chemist named Fritz Haber in Germany. And uh, he, he came up with this idea that you could use natural gas to strip the, and, and, and combine that with the atmospheric air and strip the nitrogen off and combine it with hydrogen and make ammonia and urea and all these other things. Bottom line, he was successful. And, uh, and then uh, uh, Carl Bosch, also a, a German chemist, uh, he made this process industrial. That's why they call it the Haber-Bosch process. And they first began this at Ludwigshafen, Germany, at the BASF plant, or some people call it BASF plant, which I've been at twice in the last few months. Uh, BASF is one of the major producers of ammonia-based or nitrogen-based fertilizers in the world, which is attributed to these fertilizers to an extra 4 billion people on Earth. Billion, right? So most of our population, actually. So since 1915, when they really got industrial with this, they started in 1913. But 1915, uh, Ludwig started really pumping out the ammonia-based fertilizers or the uh, nitrogen-based fertilizers. And now of the 26 major plants in Europe that produce nitrogen-based fertilizers, all of them are either closed down or almost closed down. This will lead to famine. It's just mathematics at this point. For instance, recently I was on the Jordan Peterson show. And after that show, Jordan wanted to spend a couple of days with me over in Netherlands. So he flew over during his normal tour of Europe and we spent two days together. And uh, a few weeks ago, we had dinner with a CEO, a retired CEO, of a huge chemical plant that used, he, he was responsible for making uh, nitrogen-based fertilizers for his whole career. And so we spent a couple of hours, Jordan Peterson and I and the CEO, uh, talking about this. And he said, yeah, this is the problem. Uh, you know, uh, countries like Brazil and India, who are entirely dependent on European nitrogen-based fertilizers, they're simply going to have famine. There's just no way out of it at this point because these, these plants, they're, these fertilizer plants, uh, like BASF, they are making fertilizer 365 days out of the year, except when they're down for normal maintenance. And, and, and then so they're constantly creating the, the fertilizer, and it's constantly shipping out so that, you know, at months like November and other times of the year, when depending where they're at in, in the world, when they fertilize, uh, the fertilizer's already on station. But at this point, they've just been shut down for many months. Many of them have been completely shut down. Uh, or mostly shut down. So it's just not going to be there, period. And so countries like uh, uh, China are not exporting. Obviously, there's issues with Russia right now. And uh, so, yeah, this this Haber-Bosch process and the natural gas that's being cut, we saw Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 uh, sabotage. Of course, Nord Stream 2 had never been open to begin with, but Nord Stream 1 is now, well, you know, uh, Putin had already turned it off, but there's also a flow that was just turned off recently that goes through Austria down to Italy. That was just switched off. This is a big deal, and it's hardly getting any news. Uh, there's another one at high risk now, which I would imagine, I'm just going to guess within the next 24 hours, it's going to be shut off. It's the Yamal pipeline going through Ukraine uh, over through Poland, and, and that finally comes to Germany. Uh, now, there's a lot of energy in Europe, as there is in the United States. For instance, in Texas, just laying in the ground. 
for instance, in a place called Groningen in uh, Netherlands, uh, there is a huge amount of natural gas there, and the infrastructure is already there. You just got to turn the valve a little bit more to the right and get a little bit more fuel out and get a little bit more natural gas out. And that's enough natural gas for all of Netherlands and a large part of northern Germany to, to actually create more warmth and, and also electricity, but also more nitrogen-based fertilizers. Right now, Germany is setting up heating stations. They've been working on this for a couple of months now. These are like heating islands. Uh, gymnasiums and that sort of thing so that basically the German tribes can stay warm this winter with their new Somali tribe guests that they've welcomed in. They, they, they're going, people are going to literally freeze to death in Germany. I lived in Europe for six years. I lived in Germany for four years. I speak German. I lived in Poland for two years. I, I know what it's like here in the winter. And so basically they're going to Germany says, you know, we had 80 or 85 percent of their fuel uh, tanks filled for the winter. So so I, I want to ask you, when were these decisions made with regard to the fertilizer and the food supply and the ability to harvest your own food? And how come people did not figure out that you can't uh, you're not going to be have a stable society if you're too dependent on these gases they don't necessarily have access to to be able to produce food it just seems so colossally stupid oh who could make these decisions well these green greens and globalists we know what no it couldn't have been them they, they i'm stunned they, Alex, they can't even figure out what what gender or sex they are i mean the, you know for instance here in i'm in london right now uh my visa ran out after three months in mainland europe so i popped popped over to Ireland for a week, and now I'm here uh, checking out the situation here. There's plenty of natural gas, for instance, at Blackpool in the United Kingdom, and that's sitting in the ground. You know, and these windmills are all over the place, all over Europe. It's unbelievable. Yeah, they're disgusting. They're, they're just, and, and, they're, and they're cut out. You won't believe how much forest is being cut down in Germany. It is stunning. I mean, I must have drove a thousand miles through Germany going crisscrossing around to Czech Republic from Netherlands and down to Hungary and back to Netherlands, all over the place, right? And there was so much forest being cut down, it was stunning. And keep in mind, they're cutting down these trees for firewood. It's green. As you know, it takes a couple of years to even season the wood well enough that it's going to be decent to burn your fireplace. But keeping in mind as well, most people don't realize how much wood is actually required you can you can need 10 cords of wood uh to to keep one home 2000 foot home warm for one winter say in northern michigan a friend of mine in northern michigan uses 10 to 15 cords a year a cord is four feet high four feet high 24 feet long and 16 inches deep that's a lot of wood so we're talking 10 to 15 times that for one 2000 foot home in northern michigan which is, you know, about the same as Germany and Poland when it comes. Right now, Lithuania is cutting down trees and sending them to Ireland. Hungary is cutting down trees, sending them to Germany. Poland cutting down trees. Sending, we got people in Poland lined up to get lumps of coal, basically. I mean, they're going to freeze, and then they're going to starve. Uh, it's very clear that one of the things that the pandemic, famine, war creates, you know, just pandemic, famine, war, they go together. If you get one, you always get the other two. There is no exception. If you get a large war or a large famine or a large pandemic, you will always get the other two. No exception. And these create something called HOP, human osmotic pressure. That's the push and pull of migration, right? So this human osmotic pressure, we can see it's picking up right now in Africa. As you know, I've spent a lot of time down in places like Panama and Colombia and Mexico tracking these migrant flows. And there's a reason I've spent so much time down in Panama, down in the jungle on the Darien Gap, uh, because I recognize this as a potential eight-lane highway to the United States, which it has now become, right? Uh, the, the, basically, South America is a big funnel for Africa and Asia and South Americans to come through Colombia, up through the Darien Gap, through Panama, and then straight shot. Just like a week later, you're in the United States. And so that's what's happening. We're being completely invaded you know, four months ago, I was down. Yeah, and, and Michael, I want to save this a little bit because I want to. I want to come to this. I want to come to this after the 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 break we're gonna have to take here. But I want to get a little bit more uh, context about Europe, and we're gonna have to explore some of the details. I think down the road, but I, I want to talk about are uh, what are the people, and I do read a fair bit of European 
media, but not everything, probably not as much as you're reading because you're there. But what are the people being told? Because we're getting the impression things are looking bad from here, but what are they being told there? Is there any responsibility? Is there any finger pointing? Uh, Is there any preparations or precautions that are being taken place? Or are people mostly being kept in the dark, I guess, literally and figuratively? Well, you know, many of the European, for instance, I was just over in Ireland uh, for almost a week. And the Irish, I've read three books on the Irish potato uh, famine, by the way. And you would think that the Irish would be highly cognizant of what might happen to them, right? In fact, I was just out with the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou McDonald. She's clueless about incoming famines. Just, and, so this is, and she might end up being prime minister of, of uh, Ireland, right? She's clueless, right? <clears throat> the Irish seem to think if you ask Irish, they'll say things like, we only have 7 million people on the island. And we can feed 45 million people. I think they are victims of an information campaign to put them to sleep. I was just up in, well, I was in Dublin, and then I was up in Belfast. You know, there's over 20 miles of walls separating Protestants from Catholics. Over 20 miles of walls separating Protestants. They close the gates at night. It's like Gaza. I mean, it's like the Berlin Wall used to be, or over in Baghdad, where we had to put up the walls between Sunni and Shia. So when these food crises do hit, you know, when I talk with people that know about food in Ireland, they go, no, 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 we, we, we export so much food, it's no problem for us. But then you ask them some simple questions. Okay, you do export a lot of food, but you, apparently you haven't looked at your own government statistics because you import a lot of food as well. And also, you import your fertilizer and you import your energy, right? Most of your energy is imported. These must be counted along with your food because energy and food are basically the same thing. And, and sure on one level, right? Uh, there's diesel shortages across Europe. There's uh, Germany is committing suicide. Michael Jan is on with me, Green Beret and combat correspondent and tipster who sends me a lot of useful information, michaeljan.com. Michael, where do people go if they want to support you in your work? Uh, you know, since 2005, I've worked only on reader support and donations, and I'm on locals.com. I'm on Locals, and uh, right now I've got a gift thing go up, actually, uh, the, uh, because that's how, I've, that's how I've remained independent and able to actually Amazing. do a lot, a lot of serious stuff. It, it really is amazing, and that's so hard to do, and you have pulled that off for a long time, and that's great to see that you're going strong still. Um, I, I want to go south of the border a little bit. Uh, talking about the Darien Gap, this is something that Breitbart readers know about, but it's one of the most dangerous and scary regions in the world and is directly connected to the invasion of our southern border right now. Uh, tell us about the, the region and what you're seeing or hearing there right now. Yeah, it's very serious. You know, four months ago before I saw the farmers in the Netherlands blocking streets, I was down in Mexico. I was on the Mexican side watching the invasion of our border night after night, day after day. I was actually on the Mexican side much of that time and on the Texas and Arizona side and that sort of thing. But also I went further downrange down to Colombia and down to Panama because there is an important area called the Darien Gap. And the Darien Gap uh, ended up taking two congressmen down there, actually, Tom Tiffany from Wisconsin, very brave individual, and, um, and Burgess Owens from Utah. They went about 25 miles out into the jungle with me and and Chuck Colton, uh, and and uh, we took them out there, and uh, we showed how the Darien Gap is being used as an invasion route, and now it is overwhelmed. Uh, the 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 basically people from over 140 countries. They'll come in from Asia, and Africa, and also Haiti and Cuba and a few other places, and they will filter through and end up coming to Colombia, and and then in Colombia they enter the Darien Gap, and the gap that's, that's called the Gap because there's more than 60 miles of no road. Highway one that goes all the way to Alaska, all the way down through California, and finally goes down to Central America, ends up in Panama, and then it stops at a place called Yavita, where I've been quite a lot. And Yavita is where it stops, and then it doesn't pick up again until Colombia, more than 60 miles away. So that's more than 60 miles of extremely rough jungle. As jungles go, the Darien Gap is a special sort of it's a jungle's jungle. Let's put it that way. And so the 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 uh, the, 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 the migrants start down in Colombia, uh, and I've been down there. And they, where they start off, they launch into the jungle, and right then they start getting robbed and killed and raped uh, by locals. And then they have to go over 
three mountain ranges. One's called the Montañas de la Muerta, the third mountain. That's the mountain of death. That's where a lot of people fall off or get lost, and they just die there. I mean, daily people fall off of there. Uh, actually, it's been made easier in the last six months or so. So a lot of them are going around this. But after, you know, previously, before roughly six months ago, they would come off the mountain of death, and they go through what's called the three crossings, three river crossings, and the flash floods and the Indians start killing them. People get lost. And about 10% were dying. But right now, like New York Times just came out with an article a few days ago saying how dangerous it is now. But it's far less dangerous since our government, Mayorkas, went down there. I was there when he landed right in front of me in three Blackhawks earlier this year. Uh, came down. Uh, our own government is making the flow smooth. We're actually making it safe and smooth so that all of Africa and Asia and South America, who wants to come through Colombia, through Panama, can do it readily and easily. So this is a massive uh, highway north to the United States from all over the world. Now, keep in mind, let's go back to what we were talking about earlier, energy and food, right? As the food dwindles, which it's starting to do now, but in late 2023, this is going to be famine. Flash the bay on famines can be, can be slow, but you, they're certain. And this will cause that human osmotic pressure, the push and pull of migration into South America, up through. We're talking all of Africa and Asia that wants to come through. South America can now do it. I mean, the jungle's being cut down. Uh, the, many people are now going uh, around the jungle, actually, by using boats. I've been on those boats to check them out. They go through uh, Kuna Indian Reservation and Embarah Indian Reservation down there. And, uh, and, and then they get on uh, deuce and a half trucks and buses, and they're taken all the way up to Costa from Panama. They're taken up to Costa Rica. They'll stay there for a night. Sometimes they just go right across the border into Costa Rica. There's a program between Costa Rica and Panama called controlled flow. And controlled flow is like the assembly line of, of migration north to the United States. That was brokered by the United States. After the migrants get into Costa Rica, they'll be taken up to the border of Nicaragua. There's no uh, agreement with Nicaragua. So they just cross the border into Nicaragua, more get robbed and raped, and then they continue to go north. Finally, they'll end up in Mexico, and uh, where I've been down in South Park, Chiapas, watching them cross that river, it's like another Rio Grande down there, actually. And uh, and then they sure. get on buses and they head north, and they end up in New Jersey and Martha's Vineyard. Uh, how much do you th think things are worse now than they were two years ago when it comes to our border security? Oh, at least ten times. That's an understatement. When I say at least ten times, I am not. That is not hyperbole. That is an understatement. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm generally understated. It's at least 10 times worse. Uh, just in May, for instance, when I, I, I left the border and started uh, coming over to Europe, there was 311,000 that we know got just and captured just in May. 311,000 just in May. And right now, it's a lot, lot worse. I have friends on the border that are down there all the time, like Ben Berkwan and Todd, Todd Bensman and People like that, people I personally know or I follow, the, and, and I follow their work, uh, you know, they're, they're, we're just being, we have no border, period. It's just if you want to come across, you can come across. You know, as people tell me, hey, I, I want to go to the United States, but uh, I have to get this uh, death jab, right? And I'm like, it's easy. Fly to Mexico and walk across. I mean, it's, it's like there's no border whatsoever. I'm not advising them to break U.S. law, but, I mean, it, it, it's just they're literally – it's an open, it's an open invitation. Likewise, here in Europe, I was just over in Luxembourg, I don't know, less than two months ago, and about 50% of the population of Luxembourg now is migrants. I saw maybe 10 fights in about a week, literally, fights on the street. That's a, for people who are familiar with Luxembourg, to say that there was a fight on a street in Luxembourg, I mean, if that happens, you know, 20 years ago, people would be talking about it for 10 years. Wow, there was a fight downtown Luxembourg City. Now it's every day and night. There's people defecating on the roads and wow. drug deals outside of my hotel room in Luxembourg. Luxembourg City was the jewel of Europe. Now it's a cesspool. It's completely, uh, it's completely taken, uh, about 50, almost 50%. I think it's 48 point something percent, according to the own their own government statistics, is now, and I mean, it, we're talking about, uh, what are clearly uh, African gangs owning the street corners and uh, doing drug deals right in the open. Like the police come by, they're just waving at each other. 
nothing happens. Michael Yan, it's amazing reporting, and um, I'm about you to come back and do some more of it. I, I wish I didn't share some of the cynicism about the border. It just seems like things are getting worse. It's such a rapid rate. blows your mind. Um, and it is funny that to think about how uh, I, I had to go hunt down more baby formula this weekend. Just think if I had just gone south of the border and just wandered up, I would have got some for free. It would have been waiting there, right, right there for me from our government. I would have handed it over. Michael Yan reporter and green beret michaelyon.com uh where else can we go again michael if we want to support you i'm on locals.com on locals.com and also i have a gift thing go up that's how i fund all this work since 2005 That's today's broadcast. Thanks so much to producers Greg Eben and Zach Jones and Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics, and to all of you who evangelize on behalf of the broadcast and Breitbart.com. Can't thank you enough, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm in love.